Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Praise the Lord every morning. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? I've had to bring a whole suitcase up here. I'm having technical difficulties this morning. And so if this iPad breaks down on me, I've got a computer right here we're going to have to break out. Go with me to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Wasn't camp meeting. If you were able to attend camp meeting, wasn't that an awesome time in the Lord? I encourage you, if you were not able to be there, uh, to get the CDs or the DVDs, however they produce them. My, what a word from Brother Urshan all three nights and Brother Kinsey through the days of teaching. Praise the Lord. I've obviously upset someone because this morning I have been given the task to teach about two of the hardest things that there is for a Christian, and that's giving and fasting. And I heard some moans and begroans when Sister Chelsea talked about discipline, and that's what we're going to discuss this morning, disciplines of a disciple. And we're going to talk about uh, giving, about prayer, and about fasting. And although they are difficult subjects, I believe with all of my heart, they are some of the most important to Jesus, or he wouldn't have been so adamant about talking about them to us in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And go down to verse 6 with me of the same chapter. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And then move down to verse 18 of that same chapter with me. Verse 18 says that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Here is some truths about God is that he expects us to have the right motives when we give, when we pray, and when we fast. And the truth about my life is that I need to seek to honor the Lord through daily spiritual disciplines. When my prayer, my reading, my fasting, my giving, all of these. And so with the help of the Lord this morning and with your help, I know it'll be tempting to disconnect, but I'm going to ask you to stay with me and I'll be sure to try to be finished on time this morning. And God bless you. You may be seated as you're doing so. Tell someone how good it is to be beside them this morning in church. Praise the Lord. 
A bivocational pastor was working for a small local health clinic, and since he was in a remote area, good-paying jobs were scarce. The pastor felt blessed to have a job that could support his family and allow him the flexibility to still pastor his church. However, despite enjoying the work and being well-paid, the pastor had one major problem. His supervisor at the clinic was not overly kind, and that is saying it kindly. The supervisor frequently overburdened her employees by passing off her own work to them, and she had no problem harshly berating her subordinates publicly. Her language was foul and her demeanor was arrogant, and many of the workers complained to human resources and upper management, but their efforts were in vain. The pastor believed that prayer changes things, so he took this matter to the Lord in prayer, and months passed, and his supervisor never changed. In fact, she got worse. The pastor committed to prayer even more, and still nothing changed. And after nearly a year, the health care company offered to send several employees to a training seminar in another state for one week. And the topic of the conference was working with difficult people. Intrigued, the pastor volunteered to go. And but, However, after a week at the conference, he was discouraged. He had taken exhaustive notes but felt as there was nothing that could help the situation. On the last day of the conference, he approached the speaker and relayed his situation. I don't know what to do. I've tried everything. The conference speaker offered an unexpected suggestion. Have you tried buying her a gift and writing her a nice card? The pastor was shocked. Why would I do that, he asked. The speaker replied, it sounds like she's stressed. She works in a remote area and is the only one with hundreds of miles who can do her job. Perhaps if you work hard to treat her kindly, she will realize the error of her ways and treat you all a little differently. The next week, the pastor convinced the entire office to chip in and buy their supervisor a card, a bouquet of flowers, and a gift certificate to her favorite restaurant. Within a month, the entire office noticed a drastic change in the supervisor. She spoke softer, she was more patient, and she was more sensitive to the needs of the employees. In the end, the pastor was right that prayer does change things. But before God changed the supervisor's heart, God had to change the pastor's heart. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus contrasted the behavior of hypocrites with how he expected his followers to live. Jesus taught his disciples proper motives for common spiritual disciplines. In the passage that we read, Jesus did not overtly tell his disciples to give or pray or fast. He simply assumed that they already were. He, he constantly spoke of, of when they practiced these spiritual disciplines. They did not need instruction convincing them to give, to pray, or to fast. But Jesus knew they needed him to show them the correct motives. So this morning, I'm not here to teach about giving. We are a giving church. We do that very well. I'm not here to teach about praying. We are a praying church, and we have some tremendous prayer warriors in this house. And I'm not even here to teach about fasting. We're a fasting church. Amen. My goal and purpose this morning is to encourage us to do all of these with the right motive, to make sure our hearts are right when we do them. You, you can give all you want to, pray all you want to, fast all you want to, but if your heart's not right, it's in vain. You, you're wasting your time and God's time. 
The first discipline Jesus mentioned was giving. Money and possessions are a sensitive topic. But Jesus never shied away from difficult topics. However, this was more than just about giving. Many modern translations make it clear that Jesus was referring to practicing your righteousness before other people in Matthew 6 and 1. The practice of giving alms was traditionally associated with charitable donations to the poor and the needy. And although the hypocrites were good by helping the poor, they were nullifying the spiritual benefit of their practice by broadcasting their goodness for all the world to see. In other words, if they give something to the poor and the needy, they made sure that everybody knew that it was them that did the deed. Jesus said they already had the reward they were seeking, fame and recognition by other people. Instead of seeking the approval of God, which is eternal, they sought man's approval, which is fleeting. The importance of giving can never be overstated. Jesus was speaking about giving to the poor of the land who sat in public places and begged for alms, such as the man who sat at the temple. And he sought something from Peter and John in Acts 3 and 2. And, and I think we all know this, but let me say this anyway. There will be times when we give to help someone or, or do something for someone who is of lesser need, and it'll blow up in your face. They'll use you. They'll take advantage of you. They won't be appreciative of it. But we can never let that deter us from giving to help someone in need when the Lord prompts us to. It's not our job to figure out why they did that. When we obey the Lord, when we do our part, it's in His hands. Don't, don't let the enemy plant that seed in your heart that says there's no need to give to them anything. Because they'll spend it on drugs or they'll spend it on alcohol or this or that. God will sort all that out. All we have to do is obey him. And he'll take care of the rest. This is not the only type of giving mentioned uh, as normal and beneficial in scripture. Many believers in the book of Acts sold their possession and gave gifts to the church to benefit the entire church body. In Acts 2 and 44 the Bible says, and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Acts 4 and 32 says, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither said any of them that all of these things which he possessed was his home, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the pieces of things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. And Hoseas, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, in the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we read where church leaders also receive special offerings, just as we do for in this particular case. It was for famine, for relief in Judea, similar to present-day churches. We give in response to natural disasters or hurricanes, and we give to uh, building efforts across seas. And Acts eleven twenty seven says, And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. 
Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent into the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I was in the company of an individual, and this has been many years ago, and they're not here today, so uh, don't try to figure this out. But he was complaining uh, about always, we was at a men's conference, and most of you men know when we're at men's conference, they'll take up offerings for various different things. But he was complaining about them always having their hand out, always wanting some money, and wanting an offering for this and wanting an offering for that. And I, not only was I there, there were several other men that had heard this, and some of the men were, were new convict, converts, and some of them uh, had been asked to go on the trip and wasn't even a part of our church. They just happened to be there when this particular comment was made, just complaining about, you know, every time we go or every time we come down here, they've always got to take up an offering. After leaving the conference, he and I were alone, and uh, he began to talk about how good the conference was and what a blessing he received and what a good job the men's ministry does putting all of it together and all the good things that they're doing in missions work. And I, I thought to myself, my goodness, in the company of all those men, you spouted off anger and hatred of what was taking place and planted no telling what kind of seed in the minds of others and why couldn't you have said something like this instead and be positive about what was taking place in the kingdom of God? And we need to be very careful about when it comes to the kingdom work of God, every dollar I have is only because of God anyway. Everything I own is all because of Him. He's been so good to me and He's blessed me beyond measure. If not for the Lord, where would I be? I could easily find myself under the interstate somewhere like so many people find themselves. No home, no money, no only the clothes on my back and pushing a cart around. And I'm, I'm not making light of that this morning. That's serious. But if not for God, where would I be? Where would I be if not for God? I, I'm thankful for His mercies, and I'm thankful for His grace. It was very common for churches to support pastoral ministry financially. In 1 Corinthians 9 and 13, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? Even so hath the Lord ordained that which preached the gospel should live of the gospel. First Timothy 5 and 17 says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Given generously was normal for all the New Testament Christians. And if you don't hear nothing I say today, I want you to hear this next sentence. It is impossible to be apostolic, living as the apostolics did without giving generously. It is impossible to be apostolic, living as the apostolics did without giving generously. Just the act of giving is not sufficient. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He, he says it's possible to give with the wrong motive. Giving with a pure motive demonstrates and grows our faith and trust in God. When we give faithfully and consistently and sacrificially, 
We grow our trust in God, and He continues to supply every need. I know I could pass this microphone around this morning, and there would be countless testimonies of how many times when you've made the effort to give, when it really hurt to give, and in return, God miraculously blessed you in some shape, form, or fashion. And even if we do not experience wealth and prosperity, God will provide for every need. Some of us couldn't handle winning the lottery anyway. I've heard people say, if I could win the lottery, boy, I'd bless the church. I'd build this and I'd build that. But if it cost you soul, it would be all for nothing. So if you haven't won the lottery, there's a reason why. God's confident that you can't handle money. So he's just left us here like we are. Jesus encouraged those listening that God sees their good deeds. God is the only one we need to see our giving. The proper motivation for our spiritual discipline is, is growing closer to God and in our relationship and likeness with Him. Just as, just as God has given bountifully to humanity, including sacrificing Himself on the cross, we are to imitate Him by giving selflessly to others. And we need to honor the Lord through giving. The principles of giving are closely related to the principles of sowing and reaping. Paul encouraged his readers, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purpose in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. The ESV translates part of this passage as not reluctantly or not under compulsion. Those who give because they feel obligated will not receive the blessing. Giving is a privilege, and we get to honor the Lord and bless others. Giving should not be viewed as a burden, but as an opportunity. We should purpose to honor the Lord through regular, generous, joyful giving, and then note the change that it makes in our lives. I'm, I've already stated of all the things that... God has done for me, and he's been so good to me, and I, I hate to share personal testimonies, but it's all I have. So I can remember many, many years ago, uh, Jenny had a, a truck and had had it for about 12 years, and uh, it was beginning to have some issues, but before it had a, a major issue, we had just had our annual pledge in January, and I had felt like through praying about it and through conversation with Jenny that we would up our donation to the building fund. And about three weeks after we'd done that, the camshaft went out in the truck. And I thought, man, this old truck, it's got too many miles. I'm going to just buy a new vehicle for her. And uh, so reluctantly and not wanting to, because I, I do not like payments, I bought a vehicle for her. And the, I purchased the vehicle on a Friday, and then the next Friday in my paycheck was the raise amount for the car payment. What the car payment was going to be was the raise that I got. And I, 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 you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. I can't count all the times that we would leave to go get a washer or dryer. And, uh, Jenny, she'd pray for anything. It, it didn't matter. She was like Brother William. She'd lay hands on an air conditioner. If a light didn't come on, instead of changing the bulb, she'd climb up there and pray for it that the bulb would come on. But dryers we'd find on sale, washers. We vacationed for 15 years and never paid for one night of lodging in the mountains. God's good. God, God is good. 
Amen. Is everybody okay? We've got through giving, and we're going to go to praying. Jesus also assumed his followers would be praying because he said, When thou prayest, in Matthew 6 and 6, although many people sincerely desire to pray, many are not sure where or how to begin. Jesus first addressed underlying motivations behind prayer. He helped reveal the purpose of prayer and then gave us an example of prayer. And that passage is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. It's a template for believers learning how to pray. Believers just beginning to pray would do well to use this prayer as a starting point and as they grow more comfortable speaking with God on a regular basis. And personally, I'm not a beginner, but I enjoy praying the Lord's Prayer. I try to every day. I just think it's an important part of of what he was trying to teach us, and it's just something that I choose to do. By simplest definition, prayer is communication with God. For any relationship to thrive, there must be healthy communication. God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us through times of prayer. Healthy prayer is a dialogue where we commune with God, and he communes with us. It would be foolish to think that your marriage could thrive if there was no communication or conversation. I'm confident, Brother Kenny, if you left here today and never said a word to Sister Kathy this afternoon and you went to bed tonight and never said goodnight and you got up in the morning and got dressed and left and never said goodbye or give her a kiss on the cheek, she might tolerate that for a little while. But when you got home Monday afternoon, there'd be a ready reckoning coming. We got to communicate, and it's no, it's no different with God. I, I want to be in such communication with God that when I find myself in trouble and I don't have time to pray, and all I can do is call on the name of Jesus, I want Him to recognize who I am. I, God forbid, He said, Well, who is that? I, I haven't heard from Him in a while, and He wants to call on me now in time of trouble. I want Him to know my voice and to hear me. And the more we practice prayer, the more we will become familiar with His voice, and the better we're able to discern His will and desire for our lives. There are proper motives for praying, and since prayer is communication with God, prayer is an intimate practice. And I said, Practice. Prayer is practice. You've got to get up and practice it every day or whatever your routine is, every night before you go to bed. The hypocrites Jesus described prayed primarily to be seen by others. Their desire was to speak with God as much as it was to perform in public. Those who pray to be admired by other people have the admiration they desire. Other people see them praying. However, those who pray to touch God's heart will have more than humanity could ever provide. It is far more important that God hears our prayers than for any human to hear our prayers. And that is not to say that we should not pray together and pray aloud. James, in James 5 and 16, he encouraged us to pray together. In Acts 12 and 12, believers frequently gathered to pray, especially for urgent needs such as Peter's release from prison. However, when we pray together, the focus must remain on God and not on people. And I I believe there are times, there are, we should come together in corporate prayer, but I believe there are times there are things that we pray for that are personal needs and, and they need to be done in private. And that's why it's so important to have a routine of private prayer. 
I can recall one time, and uh, and they're not here either today. I can recall one time in uh, a corporate prayer service, and I guess I must have been in a carnal state of mind, and I overheard someone praying, and they said, Now, Lord, you and I both know that nobody in here loves you like I do. (laughs) And I thought, well, my goodness, I better check myself if, if him and the Lord knows that nobody loves him like he does. So those who have experienced the beauty of, of prayer can testify that prayer truly changes things. Prayer, it draws us closer to God. It helps us to better discern his voice. It transforms our heart. It, it'll change circumstances. The results of prayer are countless. Perhaps this is why Paul encouraged us in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 17 to pray without ceasing. And I don't believe that Paul was talking about walking around and praying all the time. But I I do believe that we can have a prayerful state of mind. Uh, I believe it's very important to have a routine and a private place to pray. But I I don't think there's anything wrong with driving down the road or, or being on a piece of equipment and just praying and talking to the Lord. I believe that's perfectly in order. And I believe that's what Paul was talking about when he talked about pray without ceasing, always having you trying to have your mind on the Lord. When we discover the power of prayer, it draws us to live a lifestyle where prayer is common and frequent. The true story of the pastor that uh, we read about in the beginning testifies that continual disciplined prayer will draw us closer to the Lord. Although he had made a mistake, it did draw him closer and he recognized the mistake that he had made. Prayer changes things, but prayer first changes the heart and the mind of a person praying. Those who do not allow prayer to transform them and continue to pray with selfish prayers, James said in 4 and 3 that they ask amiss. But the wise believer does well to approach, to approach prayer with humility and servitude, not presumption and arrogance. It is never healthy to, to pray uh, for yourself all the time. I, I understand that we, we, we do pray for ourselves. But to just fall down on your knees and ask God to, that you need this and need that and this is what he needs to do in your life is, is, is not healthy. We need to uh, enter into his courts with praise and worship and, and uh, spend time praying for others and their needs and, and, and pray for other saints. Jesus concluded a prayer with, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done in Luke 22 and 42. True humility in prayer recognizes the superiority and sovereignty of God, the insufficiencies of human wisdom and and knowledge, and the importance of being formed into God's image. Through humble and consistent prayer, we can daily draw closer to God. Is everybody okay? This is the last one. I saved the best for last. Fasting. The final discipline that Jesus mentioned in this section of the Sermon on the Mount was fasting. Fasting is mentioned multiple times in the Old Testament. Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights while spending time with God on the Mount Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus chapter 34. In Leviticus chapter 16, the Day of Atonement called all the congregation to afflict their souls. And that was a reference of fasting in the Old Testament. Jewish and rabbi tradition called for even more fasting. However, fasting had become so common 
that the people had forgotten the purpose of it. And Jesus assumed his followers were already fast, and so he simply set out to correct their motives. Of the three disciplines we have covered, fasting might be the most uncomfortable because it goes against our basic biological instinct to eat. I have not met anyone I don't reckon in my life that don't like to eat. We all enjoy eating. Fasting is inherently uncomfortable. It's undesirable. Our bodies need food to survive, and that is part of God's design. And God designed humanity to know how to gather food and, and feed the body. But when we go without food, we know that we become weak. And uh, perhaps for some, their, their, their memory seems to slip and different things take place in, your, in our bodies. I can remember, since he's not here this morning, I'll tell this story. But I can remember one year in our church, that the 31 days of progressive fasting, um, we were in the final week, and I, I believe that week was the 10 days with water only and, uh, and juice if necessary. And I'd had a lot of juice. I won't deny that. But we were in those final days. As a matter of fact, it was a Saturday, and we were coming off the 31 days the next, the next day. And I had some irrigation pipe to put in and had rented a little mini excavator and uh, had finished the job early and had the machine for a few extra days. And there were some trees, uh, like cedar trees or cypress trees in the cemetery that I believe Brother Mike had mentioned that they might be growing into some, some um, headstones. But it was difficult to get to, so pastor had asked me if we could slip out there with the machine and I could ease around and get them out, and we did so. And so concluding that, there was still time left in the day, and he says, do you think you could dig that stump over there by the, the church's garage? I said, yeah. I said, it's a big stump. I don't know if I can get it out of the hole, but we can dig around it, and then we'll get Brother Everett or somebody later with a loader to to get it out of the hole. So I dug and dug and dug all around it. And, uh, pastor, he'd, he'd brought his tractor over and he would push some of the dirt out of the whale as I was digging and I got the stump to shake and move and I said, I believe with, the, with these both of these machines with some chains, we can roll it up out of here. And so fortunately, we hooked a chain to his bucket first and this was a deep hole. It was well over eight feet deep. And uh, we climbed down in there and began hooking the chains around the stump. And it come time to get out, and we couldn't get out. We, we was, and I'm being serious. We were that weak because he too was, was fasting and I was fasting and didn't realize just how weak I was. And if it wasn't for the chains on that bucket that we could hang on to and, and pull ourselves out... And I don't, I don't remember if I helped him or he helped me out, but I believe I helped him. But, uh, <laughs> but if, if not for those chains, we, we may still be there today. And y'all wondering where we're at. But fasting, fasting, it takes a toll on us. And because of that, that's why it's so hard to do. Especially, and I, I, I don't make... Uh, I'm not saying this to, to hurt any else, anyone else's feelings, but if you uh, have an occupation, as many of us men do, where you work outside and you're working all day 
And especially at times like this, when it's so hot you can't even hardly breathe, and you go on a fast, you'll find out just how tough of a man you are because you get so weak. And, and, and that's the purpose of fasting, to break our flesh down and realize that it's God we need. And what we do is for Him, and, and He can bless our efforts when we fast. But the act of fasting causes us to remember that communion with God is even more important than our most basic human need, and that's food and water. And we realize when we fast, this is far more important than anything. Job sat in an ash heap scraping boils from his skin, and he reflected on how important God was to him. And Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Fasting reminds us that having a strong relationship with God will sustain us even better than the food can. And the Pharisees followed all the required fast and more. They were judgmental of those who were not fasting as much as they were. And the Pharisees even distorted their faces to look weaker than they were, hoping their gone expressions would impress more people. You ever seen anybody do that? You know, greet them, say, I'm fasting. That's why I look like this. It's not because I got out of the wrong side of the bed. I've been fasting. I don't want to be that guy. I... I, I when I fast, I pray, God, help me to have the right motive and help, help my spirit to change. If, if your spirit or attitude changes when you fast and you treat people different, you might want to consider to fast in a different way. But ironically, by fasting, you look better than others. Pharisees fell into the same wrong motives as Old Testament Israel and earned a similar rebuke to them. Isaiah said in 58 and 4, Behold ye fast for strife and debate and to smite with a fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day to make your voice to be heard on high. Fasting done for the purpose of strife and debate is never God's will. God does not want us to fast to, to be in a debate with someone. The proper motive for fasting will, will always always take personal spiritual discipline and it's to draw closer to God. Our flesh is weak and limited, but fasting reminds us we are more than flesh and blood. Fasting helps us to empty ourselves of desires and helps bring our spirit more in line with God and what God is doing in our lives. Giving, praying, and fasting are only some of the spiritual disciplines we can practice on a regular basis. The regular study of God's Word and meditation on spiritual things are biblically demonstrated. Even evangelism, service, and fellowship are forms of spiritual discipline. That's why uh, our pastor is so adamant about fellowship. We're not just having fellowship just because we don't have anything to do. It's, it's part of a spiritual discipline. The fellowship. God forbid we take, I love the Wednesday night things that we do back there. We, God forbid of taking that as an opportunity not to come to church. Well, there ain't no preaching. There ain't no singing. Yeah, but there's fellowship. That, that's, a, that's one of the major parts of discipline is fellowship, one with another. But perhaps the most difficult of all disciplines are the practices of silence and solitude where we get along with God, free from distraction, where we can meditate on His Word. Discipline is not easy. Sister Chelsea spoke of that this morning. Nor is it instinctive. It must be developed. We have to practice. 
And people get a little leery when you talk about practicing to be a Christian. But there's nothing wrong with that. It's a routine. It's, it's a practice. Just as muscles don't grow with one trip to the gym, disciplines are not perfected in one day. Discipline requires consistency over time, and it may become a positive habit that daily draws us closer to God. God is honored when we faithfully make time to spend with Him, for He is always there to meet with us. If you make time for God, make no mistake about it. James told us in 4 and 8, draw nigh to God. He'll always draw nigh to you. The bivocational pastor from our earlier story was immediately humbled when the speaker suggested his thoughts and actions should change toward his boss before he could expect her to change. The pastor reflected how he was a lifelong apostolic, an ordained minister, and a believer who had spent over a year praying for this woman to treat him and his colleagues better, but he had never once considered treating her better. The pastor had spent so much time in his spiritual discipline praying for God to change her, but he had never asked for God to change his own heart. As the pastor, he, he told this story, he was quick to clarify that it is biblical to pray for situations or other people to change. However, if our prayers for change only include others and not ourselves, we're like James said, we're, we're praying amiss. And the pastor realized his prayers were actually selfish because none of them were for this woman's salvation or well-being. His prayers were simply for his own convenience, for his own comfort. He admitted he had not thought critically about how he prayed until the Lord revealed it to him. And one of the dangers of knowing truth is assuming we always handle the truth correctly and treat others as we should. Thankfully, apostolics, we do have truth. However, as long as we are flesh and blood, we will not be perfect and we cannot always assume that we will be correct or that we treat others correctly. There is a difference between having the truth as a piece of knowledge and act actually walking daily in that truth. We hear all the time people quoting uh, to, to be more than just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. You may possess the truth. You may know the truth. There are many that do. But if you do not follow the truth, you're, you're wasting your time. We, we've got to follow truth. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God personally. There's a not, lot of people that know God, know there is a God, but we've got to practice to know God personally. The first requires memorizing and learning facts, and the second requires daily faithful spiritual disciplines. The first requires collecting knowledge. The second requires becoming a practitioner, applying this knowledge to daily life. Spiritual disciplines can help us discover new levels of spiritual intimacy with God we have never experienced before. Spiritual disciplines can move us from a spiritual astronomer always looking up and studying the stars, but to a spiritual astronaut who ascends into heaven to get closer to God. I don't want to just look up and see God. I, I want to meet with him and be with him. When we learn to give and to pray and fast with faithfulness and cheerfulness, God will meet us in those disciplines to elevate us to new spiritual heights. Praise the Lord. Was that everybody okay? It wasn't that bad, was it? Would you stand with me? Because Sister Chelsea was finally on time this morning with her opening prayer. 
I am 30 seconds early. So we're going to, to spend the next few minutes fellowshipping before our second service uh, begins. But before we do, would you pray with me and just, if there's anything that you've received out of this today, would you ask the Lord to just apply it to your heart and, and to help you? Father, we love you. And we are so grateful, eternity, grateful that you took the time to minister to us and to teach us of the disciplines of a Christian. And I'm asking God that you would help us today to seal in our heart and to seal in our mind the method of of giving, of praying and fasting. I don't want to discount the importance of them, God, but I want them in my life. I want them to be a regular part of my life and to be a routine in my life because I know through these methods of discipline that I can draw closer to you. And when I do that, you will draw closer to me. And I'm so thankful for that. And I give you praise and honor in the name of Jesus and the whole house said amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.